Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. In 1995, theorizing that one could time travel within their own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. After years of attempting to bring him home, the project was abandoned until now. Dr. Ben Song risked everything when he used the Quantum Leap Accelerator to travel back in time. Now our team's working to find out why, as he leaps between bodies with no memory of who he is, he still has one hope, that his next leap takes him back to the place and people he calls home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 132, SOS. Destroyed. Target two. Destroyed. Inbound aircraft. Destroyed. Threat board clear, Captain. What war is this? One I hope we never have to fight. It was a drill. We are in the East China Sea, the most dangerous waters on Earth. I always knew you'd look great in a uniform. Oh, Addison. I thought I had left into the middle of a war. Where am I? We are the tip of the spear. We protect the greatest nation in the history of history. Ben, you are on the USS Montana. This is Captain Bill Drake. And that is my father. The ship picked up a distress signal. Bridge comms. We have a possible distress call. Broadcast in the clear on 2182 kilohertz. Well, a fragment, really. Impossible to confirm and not repeated. My father decided not to pursue it. Nor tell Captain Drake. Which was a mistake. Ben, fate brought us here so that I could save the lives of all of those men that died because of my father. Please, help me do that. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we are discussing season one, episode 14 of Quantum Leap, SOS. And not only that, we're doing so in a special crossover Ooh. event with the Quantum Leap After Show. Everybody, please welcome to the show special guests, Albie Burge, Hayden McQueenie, and Serenity Burge. Guys, welcome Yay. to the podcast. Thanks for having us. I can't believe you let me back on the show, but your funeral. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you guys on at last thank you for having us on the crossover event of the century i'm so excited to be here i'm so excited <laughs> hell yeah i love your guys show i love what you're doing and I'm, thank you for having us on yeah it's our pleasure to have the creator of the quantum leap podcast back in, in in our it's august the august return of albert burge to the quantum leap podcast so um most people uh who are listening who are new to the show might know you better now because i was able to play that oh boy interview that you and i did about a year ago discussing the genesis of the podcast and our long friendship so i'm always thrilled to talk to you albie everybody knows that uh, they're going to ship us like they used to ship me and skip so i'll take it um, I need it. And uh, if this love fest wasn't enough for all of you out there listening, uh, we will also be bringing you an interview with Brandon Routh, who played 
Addison's dad in this episode. I just know him as XO Augustine. They never said his, his first name on screen. It was Gossip what Girl was it? XO. Alexander Albert Augustine, I believe. Alexander yeah. Albert Alexander. Augustine. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, I mean, we got Superman on the Quantum Leap podcast. That's a get. And uh, we had a great time talking to him. So Brandon was terrific. And uh, you will be hearing that interview after the break. So everybody stay tuned for that. So, yeah, um, fun times here on the QLP. Uh, But before we go any further, you may be wondering where Allison is. Um, After last week's recording, Allison um, asked that um, she step away from the podcast And uh, she put an announcement on Twitter to that effect. And she said that it would be fine if I read that aloud to everybody listening. So Allison writes, I have nothing positive or constructive to say at this point. So I've removed myself from further eps covering the new show. It sucks because I used to really look forward to talking to my friends about this franchise, but it's just not fun to record or listen to right now. I'll still be in pods covering the classic series. Chris, Matt, Albie, Hayden, and everyone else will continue covering the new show and conducting awesome interviews. They're doing good stuff and are worth supporting. So um, I, you know, respect Allison's choice. Uh, I am so utterly bummed. You have no yeah. idea. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel like the show without her. Me, Matt, and Allison have been sort of going at this now for how many years? Doing the original show and the new show, and no, and not e- not even just the show. I mean, just uh, getting the chance to to catch up with Chris and Allison every week. It's been like a regular regular part of my social life for the last few years. So, um, I'm glad it's it's only going to be five weeks to see us through to the end of the season. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to miss her. But yeah, we got we got some good plans coming up to to see us through. Yeah. So um, everybody stay tuned for that. We'll be talking about that more at the end of the show, Mm. um, how we plan to move forward. But Allison will be back and I believe it will be for a book show. I think the next thing we're doing for the classic series is Pulitzer. Pulitzer. One of the best Everybody start reading Pulitzer for the uh, for the. The auspicious mm. return of Allison Pregler to the Quantum Leap podcast. So, Allison, we're going to miss you, um, but uh, we look forward to having you back. And, of course, Allison is welcome to come back anytime if she feels like beforehand. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, here we are. We have episode 14, SOS, and it's the second in a run of six in a row that are going to take us to the season finale. Um, let's get some first impressions. Uh, we'll start with you, Matt. What do you think of SOS? Um, oh man, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm fawning. I'm going to sound like I'm sycophantic, but I I watched this a couple of times today and I, I could not find anything to critique about it. Um, which is not to say it's necessarily my favorite episode. I think there's been some episodes so far in this run that have done some, some brave things and have occasionally failed. Um, this is just a, a quality episode from start to finish. Um, really strong. I, yeah, I was very happy with it. How about you, Albie? I enjoyed this episode. I wasn't really looking forward to it as much because I'm not like a war movie kind of guy. I'm not into the military. I'm more pacifist, but anything quantum leap, um, I'm on board for. And, uh, by the end of this episode, I was like, I just loved it. I uh, messaged the writer of the episode and I told him how much I enjoyed it. And uh, it was really good to see the father daughter stuff. That's another reason why we have uh, Serenity on here, because this was a really good father daughter episode. And and when there's father daughter writing in a show that I care about, it really affects me because, you know, it's it's not 
difficult to see myself in those positions. Um, but overall, uh, an amazing episode and a great addition. And then the Leaper X stuff. Oh, my goodness. Great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll be talking about that. And um, we've heard from the father. Let's hear from the daughter. Renny, what did you think of this episode? Um, This episode for me, like, was kind of like in between the episodes. It wasn't bad, but it's not my favorite. But it definitely is a really good episode. And same with the Leaper X. Like, I did not expect Leaper X to show up. But altogether, it was a really good episode, and I liked it. Cool, cool, cool. And Hayden McQueenie, give us your take. What's the hot take from Down Under? Serenity, first of all, you're very lucky that you hadn't seen any of the promo pics or anything like that, which came out because we all knew that Leaper X was coming because we'd seen him in some pictures. Uh, But it's nice hearing the fact that, you know, it was completely unexpected to someone who didn't already know it was going to happen. Uh, I actually think this is the best episode they've done so far. And uh, what I liked best about it is it it flowed how I thought they would um, how I thought they would with this actual series having a good chunk of it at the project, seeing how everything that they're doing in the leap they're then going and doing some research on in the project, and then they get an answer they immediately go and tell Ben, and then um, you know seeing how everything progressed that way instead of having essentially a side mission that they've got to do. Not that I dislike the side mission of the mystery box or whatever it is you're calling it. I I actually really enjoy that part of it too, more so than others. But I did like how they went about it in this episode. It was more fast-paced and it was, um, I think, a better fit for um, Quantum Leap. I think that people Mm. who have had negative things to say about the show would probably find this episode... um, a much better fit. Yeah, I have to tell you, the leap and project synergy was completely on point in this episode. Mm. Like it hasn't been on the series so far. And I think that this is, uh, to your point, Hayden, what everybody was hoping or at least envisioning for having the project being part of the show. And not only that, they had it in such a way that they were cutting it together where you would have Addison giving part of an explanation and then cut back to the project where they're having a separate conversation. So it never lagged. It never said like, it never played like a game of telephone (laughs) on screen, you know? And um, I know that this is something that Allison had wanted to see more of on the show and um, me as well. And for the first time, it it almost for the first time felt like we were watching the same show, not two separate shows. Um, there, you know, I think that they've they've done it to varying success in previous episodes, but I think in this episode um, they really found a way t- to complement both stories and have them be part of um, a greater whole. That was a much more satisfying viewing experience. And that that project stuff that um, that that gave us that synergy. It also gave us um, some of the the best material we've had for magic so far that hasn't involved him just being the father figure who just says some wise things and says, don't worry, Addison, it's okay to feel emotion. He was actually going out there and and having his own stuff to do, uh, which was, which was really cool to see because Ernie's been underused uh, to an extent. Echoing what you guys said, uh, I really love that scene with uh, magic and his Chinese counterpoint at the time. And, um, how he, it went from the information of the minefield from magic to Jen 
and from Jen to Addison and from Addison to Ben. And they were just able to boom, 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 boom. And I just, I loved it just like you guys are saying. And I want to see more of that like teamwork, but real time teamwork and not, not uh, how they did it previously. Another benefit of that was everybody seemed to have something to do with this episode. Mm. Right. Um, it, it's not like we're back at the project spinning our wheels and um, talking around the Leaper X stuff and talking around the mystery box. Everybody actually seemed to have a job, which was um, a little bit different uh, than we had in the past. I mean, one thing that I did notice, I finally see more of what Jen is there for because, and we, we've discussed this on previous episodes with sort of the weird separation between Ian and Jen. Do we really need both of them? And it seems to me that um, they were a little bit more clearly defined. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently Ian is all about Ziggy and probability matrices and, and predicting what Ben needs to do while Jen seems to be more of a, like a recon and intelligence officer in this one. I know that she's technically the head of security in the project, but um, I think that she had a unique enough role to play in this one to actually justify yeah. her place on the floor of, of the control room. Problem is we, we go too far down that route. And then if Ziggy can ever start to speak, Ian becomes redundant. So uh, we, need, we need to keep <laughs> Ziggy uh, as painful <laughs> as that is. Uh, we need to keep Ziggy running slow and not actually doing anything. Do not say that to Deborah. I know. Well, Ian, I think, had the least to do in this episode, um, but I actually Mm. didn't mind it because what Ian did bring was valuable. And I know that we love getting into topics of the law. Ian seemed to imply that it would have to be a really big change that Ben does in order to make big changes at the project. So I thought that that was Mm. a really good line to put in there and that means that, yeah, he Ben might be able to help repair or at least not estrange Addison with her father, but she's still going to be there and she's still going to essentially be the same person doing the same role. Hmm. So I thought that was a good line for Ian to have. Jen's role in this episode, I really enjoyed. Like you were saying, she has something more to do in this episode, and it was separated between Ian and Jen. And I'm always on board for more Jen. I think I started the hashtag uh, more Jen. Hashtag Team Jen. <laughs> yeah, Team Jen. So, um, and we're going to get more in the next episode. But um, I, I really enjoyed how they all work together. So, I kind of like have a theory. I don't know if this matches up at all, but. Like, what we learned about from Magic, knowing that Sam leaped into Magic. Like, knowing that in the future, I'm thinking that if Addison's father comes back, it would kind of be the role as Sam's brother in some way. And maybe Rossi would, like, come back later on in the series and say, like, hey, I've been seeing this person in my dreams like mm. that could be something in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows where Tom is at this point? Uh, 1989. I think he would probably be a career Navy man. So mm. perhaps he knows Rossi um, being a seal still. Uh, we've also talked about the fact that they were talking about changes in uh, Addison's timeline and the, the pithy back to the future references in the top of the show, uh, which, you know, we were all about the back to the future references. It's been, it's been a couple of years since I played a Biff drop on this one. I think I'll, I'll put one in this, this show, but uh, yeah. Um, 
the fact that we have um, this reveal of Addison's father and the relationship that they share and the issues that they've had, um, this is probably the most significant the most significant development of Addison's character that we've seen since episode one. And mm. uh, I wanted to get some, some takes on, on that. What did you guys feel about filling in some of her backstory? So, all right. In two minds here. Um, I, uh, we already know a lot about Addison's personality and there was some really good stuff here showing where that came from. Um, she, she is very, very stoic, very, some, some people have said unemotional, but not unemotional. I think just very, very stern. Um, but then, but letting the emotions through, uh, from time to time. And this episode, uh, definitely explained a lot of that. And I think explained that in a very satisfactory way. Um, it is a little unfortunate. I think that they've probably gone overboard in previous weeks showing, Addison quite often being upset about something. They they do give Caitlin a lot of a lot of crying acting in this show, and I, I think if they'd have held held some of that back a little bit, it would have been a bit more of a punch um, for this episode. But uh, yeah, it was it was great to see. It was great to see some background for her. Um, we we want more background for all of the characters. I think um, we've seen a bit of Ben now, um, but we yeah we're at a point in the season now where we can start filling in the gaps uh, for other other characters. How about you, Hayden? Uh, well, I thought it was good. Uh, I don't really have any problem with learning a little bit more about our favourite characters. Uh, I know that in the after show we've been hoping that we might see an episode like all about Magic's backstory and then an episode all about Jen's backstory and an episode all about Addison's backstory and so on. So it's nice having some yeah. of that stuff filled in. The only thing I'll say... Uh, Matt, you were saying you had nothing to critique about the episode, and I have very little, but the only thing that I do think I could critique is after Gossip Girl XOXO got sent to his quarters, um, we had Ben go to try and convince him to take command, but just out of the blue, then XO says, oh, she doesn't love me anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. I might have to leave. That just seemed like it came really out of place, like from nowhere and seemed very out of place. I don't know where you would be able to put it in or how you could more organically get that conversation in there. I know it had to happen, yeah. mm. but that's kind of the only thing that took me out of what was, I thought, otherwise a perfectly paced episode. See, to me, it it... I, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, I it didn't bother me because I felt that he he had the episode to be so focused on what was going on in the military part of the story, and then suddenly he's taken out of that and told you're, you're basically you're offline now, you're off duty. Go and sit and think in a corner, and when you're sitting and thinking in a corner, um, other things are going to come to the fore. So that was just yeah. how I that that was how I rationalized that in my head that he was just like, okay, I can't think about work. Oh God, there's all this family stuff now bubbling under. Mm, I'm on team Hayden with this one. And I think there Wait, could have been a very the first easy time fix. ever. Um, because <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> probably. I hope so. <laughs> no, what, what I think is that, um, the, the way that they could have fixed this is everybody's calling each other XO and by their titles, chief petty officer ops when they're in their quarters together have Augustine call Rossi by his first name and just right there, 
there's, okay, we have a history of familiarity and you maybe already know some of this stuff about me and about my daughter and about the estranged relationship. Um, I think that they, they, they could have just dropped into a, a little bit more of a familiar tone. And then it doesn't seem to come out of nowhere because I really did think it was, we need to have this established in the show. Therefore, we're just going to stick it in here because we're taking a break from the action. Um, you just needed one line, one word. We never got Rossi's first name. It would have been nice to know. We never in this episode, I don't know where you guys are getting his first name from. It was never mentioned once. And I listened hard because I was doing the rundown to see what his name was. It wasn't even in the in the press photos. They called him XO Augustine. Where did we get the first name uh, confirmation from? Do you guys, can you well, tell me? Brandon mentioned it in the interview. I thought it came up in the episode, but I uh, I we might have imagined that, but I'm sure. But, but Brandon definitely referred to himself. Maybe as Alexander. it was in promotional stuff yes, that we were yeah, given. That he did. I'm not sure. So it must have been in the script, and yeah, that scene didn't bump me at all. I just uh, in my head, I just assumed these guys spent 24 seven together for months at a time at sea, and they had a prior relationship where they could uh, speak openly about uh, themselves, you know, with while keeping it uh, within. Uh, chain of command order when they needed to, but also speak freely. But I, I, I could see where uh, your suggestion, Chris, would have made it like instantaneously like communicate that. Mm. But I, I just assumed uh, probably from watching Star Trek, you know, I, that's technically a Navy show, kind of military show. Mm. So, you know, people have interpersonal relationships also uh, besides their command roles. Yeah. So, yeah, Addison's crying in other episodes really didn't uh, affect me for this episode. And this episode, I was surprised by the end of that I was teary eyed and I was, I wasn't crying, but I was emotional and I really felt mm. it. I think because uh, we've earned uh, that scene from uh, getting to know Addison and some of her backstory peppered in here and there. And um, I was just really touched by it. Yeah. Did anyone else get MIA vibes between um, Addison and her father? There's the the part where Addison had said, you know, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And then a little bit later on, it seems like mm. the father um, felt her presence, and he says the same thing back to uh, back yeah. to reassure Addison as well. I got MIA vibes there that you know, if there is a strong enough connection between the two people, then it, they might not realise that each other is there, but you know, they still might be able to sense each other's feelings and and um be able to project what they want on each other i, mean, I didn't pick up on that uh at the time although yeah i, I totally I, I get that um but e even just the very basics of giving giving a, a character the chance to say something to a loved one that uh, they weren't able to do in in reality that that fundamentally that's um that brings back that that whole mia feeling uh, i hadn't thought of the connection though thanks like from what Hayden said, like how I kind of took that scene is that he kind of felt like his future daughter was like talking to him. So like it was just like self-consciousness, but he felt like she was there, but he knew that she mm. wasn't, even though that she was there. Okay. It's yeah, you know, I'd never picked up on that vibe. It's an interesting, it's an interesting observation. And uh, like you said, Matt, it's kind of in the wheelhouse of Quantum Leap. It's mm -hmm. sort of that family reunion. And it's funny, Albie, that you would invoke Star Trek before for 
the way the crew might relate to each other on their off-duty hours. But Star Trek always had more of a feel of like a happy space family. I think that was one of the like the tenets of the show. They wanted to get that sort of collegial family dynamic going after the first couple of seasons of a show so that they could have more interesting interpersonal relationships. And I saw this more as a straight military. You know, this is this is the Navy. Chain of command is mm. everything. And everybody's got a place in the pecking order. So that's why I think uh, it also stood out to me so much. But that's an interesting take from from I, I hadn't considered that. So, yeah, interesting wrinkle. What I loved more about this, though, I mean, going back onto the reality side, we and I know Albie, you probably love this too. It reminded me of of the Martian um, Serenity. Cover your ears. We're going to science the shit out of this. I think that it was terrific. That no matter what obstacle they came against in this episode, violence was never the answer, mm-hmm. and they always found a good scientific solution to every single mm-hmm. thing that was posed. And it, it goes back to the synergy between the project and the leap. In the sense that we have this little fragment, what can we do with it? And then you have a team working on what we can do with it. And okay, it turns out that we can verify that this is an American signal. We know definitively that this came from the Tampa and that it is an SOS and that we do need to to go save them. And um, the fact that, okay, they got hit and okay, is this a torpedo? No, we know definitively it's not a torpedo, even though the captain is insistent that it is. Number one, even even uh, Augustine said it in the episode. We have fifty million dollars worth of equipment, and how did how did they not catch it? So Ben puts everybody to task to figure out what it is, and they find the minefield. And I, I thought that was great. So okay, how do we get through the minefield? You know, it's they set up a series of problems, but they always found a solution. And is that I, you know, of course, you're going to do that in a show. That's the writing, you know, but it didn't feel like they were going through the yeah. numbers here. You know, it felt mm-hmm. like organic problems that were arising as a course of the drama and finding like really cool ways around all of those problems that led to the positive outcome. So that to me is is endemic of what Quantum Leap should be like. It's it's. It, it, that's that's in its DNA, finding positive solutions to seemingly unworkable problems. Usually it's on a more human level, but I I enjoyed seeing it on a scientific level here because we're all nerds. Yeah. And- <laughs> I have to agree with you there, Chris. Um, it was great too that the project was able to come up with ways that people in 1989 would be able to explain how they would know that it's from the mm. Tampa, how they would know that it was a mine, how to get through mm. the minefield, rather than having to use future knowledge or technology in order to be able to do this. Uh, it's good that they were able to make it time appropriate. I'd uh, actually wondered, even in the previous episode, uh, family style, um, how are they going to be able to catch Kathy uh, in the act of... Um, burning the house down and my sci-fi brain was going well maybe because they're watching everything at the project maybe they've got a video of it happening and maybe they can somehow leap the video back so that they can you know watch it and pass it over security footage or something like that but this episode was better simply because they were able to come up with ways all right they're in 1989 this is how people in 1989 are going to be able to get to verify these things 
Chris, just going back to what you were saying about um, the, the the solutions to the problems, and this is another uh, Star Trek compare and contrast that I noticed. Um, we're doing that a lot lately. You're a bad influence, <laughs> I know, but this... I, again, <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, Star Trek is is based on the Navy in terms of the way that the militaristic elements work, and one of one of Star Trek's downfalls, which this episode did not fall into at all, um, is the way they solved the other big problem, which was the crazy captain. Now, any Star Trek ship out there where a captain goes crazy, within two minutes of the episode starting, the first officer is going to be relieving them of command because they're not fit for duty. I love the way that this episode did not go there. It just kept teasing that, and they kept trying to find ways of having to convince him, no, calm down, think about it this way, think about it that way. And eventually, when it did happen, it was mutiny, and it was messy, and it it was not that just kind of, I'm the first officer, and I can see that you're nuts, which is Mm -hmm. what Star Trek would have presented. And that, that in terms of, again, just going back to the same point you just made, Chris, about the science – that is again a very quantum leap way of looking at it. It's it was looking at the people and the personality of the captain and how everyone was interacting with him, and that I think was one of the strongest parts of the episode for me. Yeah, and to that point, because it it shows you that we're dealing with human problems too mm. and solving them on a human level. Mm. Um, it it gave us a way to get to know Addison's father a lot better and to see how he ticks and what he respects and what he values. And obviously, Captain Drake is his hero. He mm. loves Captain Drake. He respects Captain Drake. He wants nothing more than to serve with Captain Drake and do the best job he can. But at the same time, he has other responsibilities to the crew, to himself, to his country. So how does he thread that needle? And watching him go through all this is something that um, helps Addison come to terms with, this is not the guy who I thought he was. Mm. This is a much different person. And when we're talking about that scene again that we brought up uh, that Hayden compared to MIA, when um, Addison is having her speech at the end and she's talking about, you're the man who made me. You're the man who taught me everything I know. That is a 180 completely from where we start at the beginning when she said he was the most stoic, unfeeling person I ever met. So it begs the question, and we're going to get some of the timey-wimey things. Do you think Addison's past with her dad has changed as a result of the events of this leap? Do you think that he still left? Do you think – because he says it's going to be okay. Do you did, that's what I inferred from what I watched. And that's the ending that I want because I think it's really cool and timey-wimey. So I think uh, that they established in Let Them Play that anything that happens uh, in the real world, the changes that occur due to uh, Ben and Addison uh, teaming up together in the past, is uh, Addison is not affected. Anyone in the imaging chamber is not affected. To me, that seems to be where the bubble is. Unless it moves because of the the um, the monitor that Ian had during the Halloween episode, because that's different from uh, what they established later on with Let Them Play. But I think that if Alexander Augustine did change and like he did stay with uh, the mother and the daughter didn't leave them uh, because of that moment and the changing in history and maybe that little uh, psychic pep talk that he got from his daughter. Um, I think that would change the outside world, but I don't think that would change the Addison that we're following. Yeah, so doesn't that bring the the interesting possibility that she's going to step out of the imaging chamber into a world where 
Alexander is still there, and Alexander remembers his daughter growing up perhaps a little softer, a little better rounded, but she is still the same Addison, that, that, and she's got to try and adjust to that. That's 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 got big implications for her. And the fact that she's likely to remember both timelines as well. Like we saw in the original series, Al remembered everything. So Addison's likely to remember both timelines if uh, her if her experience has changed throughout yeah. as well. And I think Brandon might have uh, slipped a little bit when he said that it really doesn't affect Addison until the next episode. So he might know a little bit more than he's telling us. So Yeah, that's a sneak peek of the interview that we did with Brandon. So stick around after the break. Um, Very I, was, I was wondering that too. He seemed to be a little bit matter of fact about it. But uh, hey, he didn't spoil anything technically. <laughs> so no, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I read um, into and a that's, lot of that's, things. Uh, yeah, and I asked him the same question on the interview. That's how it came up. So, but I really want to get your guys's take on it as well, because it was one of the uh, two really timey wimey things in this episode that I wanted to touch upon. Again, with with history changing around everybody, so we know that in the original history, when Ben first leaps in, that. Um, Exo Augustine was blamed for not rescuing the Tampa because he ignored the SOS. But then Ben changes that history so that um, they are going to rescue the Tampa. And then things escalate to the point where it it's almost World War III, where that never was the case in the original history. So it makes it very interesting that we have magic going in to talk to his Chinese counterpart at the time. That was Lu Wei, who was played by Kelvin Han Yi. Wonderfully. I thought that that was one of the best scenes in the episode, the two of them going back and forth, but they're saying those were dark times and um, those, you know, we came very close. There was, you know, it's too bad. We weren't talking back then, that kind of stuff. I think that, that conversation of necessity was so masterfully oblique, yet still interesting, uh, because technically the events that they remember should already be changing around them. And their memories are going to be different because we've already seen the effect that Ben has had on the original history. So I, I, I think that this is one of the potential complications and pitfalls of having a back at the project side, because as history is shifting around them, how do they navigate it? What, what are they seeing? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they remembering? And I find it a fascinating wrinkle to explore. Um, I don't know if the show is going to explore it. Did you guys pick up on that? Did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, we, we've spoken about this a little before um and i i'm still of the view that yeah like you say chris i i don't i don't think the show is necessarily going to land on anything because we do have this whole complex thing that we are in the project time we are already living in an alternate timeline where ian has gone back in time and changed history so if there's anything that suggests that what they're doing now is what causes ian to go back the whole thing kind of falls apart so i think we're, we're going to have to squint a bit um it, they may have a, a a full explanation for all that but i think there there will be probably inconsistencies and you know what if the drama's good i don't care um but i i don't think everything's going to quite hang together um and the same for the fact that, that we're now living in a world that's uh, where there was nearly world war three I don't know. We'll see. Well, 
I think we might have discussed this in the past, Chris, when we talked a little bit about your book. I, I remember there's a, a scene in your book where there's, um, what was her name? Anne-Marie, was it? She goes back and there's a chance that she kills Sam and because of that, we've got, you know, things in flux in the present time and things constantly changing and they can't keep track of what's going on. I actually don't really see that happening very much in the show. Um, the way that I've always seen it is it's all to do with probabilities. They're going to stay on the same timeline that they're on until there's essentially a 0% chance that that timeline can't actually happen again. Like nothing actually changes until it's completely certain that it's going to change. So I, I don't really see them having that kind of struggle that you're thinking of if that's... <laughs> If that's the thought process that uh, they seem to be taking, it seems like that might be the most consistent sort of um, path throughout the whole series, the original and the new one that they've been taking. So, but I'm not saying that what you're thinking wouldn't be really interesting seeing time essentially in flux and seeing things changing throughout the same episode. That would be very, that would be really cool to see. But I do think that it would probably be a bit too much of a, a mind bleep for anyone who's anyone who's watching and trying to keep track of, and for a, any non time travel geeks aside from yeah. us. So. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because I've spoken about this on the show that this was one of my my big issues with the novels that because of the amount of time set back at the project, they had to deal with all right, what do we do with an ever changing timeline? Okay, we have an ever changing timeline, and that never felt satisfying to me. Um, and I've recently and very late uh, discovered the the 2016 show Timeless, which is that that has at its that has at its core that's the whole principle of it. Every time they return to the the present day, they discover stuff has changed around them. And I'm finding I'm halfway through it. Don't get me spoiled. <laughs> I never watched it. Um, but I'm finding that a lot more satisfying than I would have thought. Um, I, I would have thought that was very frustrating. And I did find mm. it a bit frustrating with the novels. And I'm glad they're kind of avoiding that uh, with the new series um, of QL. But equally, if they did start going down that route and having constantly changing timelines, I've now seen a TV show where that works and that works really well. So maybe, mm. maybe. Yeah. And I think that you can explore it more in the novels just to, to put a bow on the point for the, you know, the comparison between the novels and, and the show. The novels, you can take deep dives because you're in the headspace of the characters. You have pages to fill and you get to do all the fan theories. I think Hayden in my book, if I recall, if I can quote myself, it's been <laughs> 30 years since, since I wrote it, but some, Al says something along the lines that they were coasting along on a sliver of probability that yeah. was shrinking, ever shrinking. Uh, so you didn't know when, you know, when the, the scales would tip and things would be irrevocably changed. In a book, you can do that because you are, you're indulging and you're exploring and you have a lot more space to do that. In a 42 minute show, it might be a bit complicated to have those kinds of things floating around all the time and disconcerting to viewers and timeless. I recall was doing that, but they did it in such a way that it was always after the fact and it was always, okay, this is what it was before and this is what it is now. Right. So I guess that could be a model for doing it in a more simplistic way for a television audience. 
And that was, or that does seem to be the focus of that series. Quantum Leap already has a lot of other stuff going on, putting right what ones went wrong and the mystery box and all this stuff, mm. throwing in a changing timeline. Um, <laughs> it, it's yeah, just, just a little wow. too much, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I won't spoil Timeless for you, Matt, other than to say it has a proper ending, so it won't leave you hanging. It didn't get canceled without a uh, resolution, so it's very know, satisfying. It got a movie at the end, didn't it? So. Yep. So it's a very yes. satisfying journey, and it, it was done very I'm well. So uh, yeah, it's, it's so great. Um, I think I was looking for little subtle changes because uh, um, Ian had mentioned uh, they had said that um, it would take large events for uh, things to change the timeline, and I was thinking there's 138 men and women, uh, 138 people on the submarine, the Tampa, that survived. That's 138 different time streams that are changing everything around them that affects everything around the globe. Yeah. Uh, how is that not a big enough thing? And when uh, Magic was talking, speaking with his counterpart, I was just I was looking for subtle clues in their conversation. Uh, later on, he said we did get lucky that day and they, they didn't really mention it. Um, so maybe the timeline was already affecting him. I was looking for subtle clues like. Maybe the color of a tie changes. Maybe the car they took there changed. Maybe the location changed. I would like to see little subtle things that some people might see as continuity errors, but then we would know that the mm -hmm. timeline is changing. But I didn't see any evidence of that. Maybe there is, and I just missed it. Those 138 lives touched others, and their lives, others. That's a yep. lot. And, and one of those lives changed someone's color of their tie. <laughs> well now that you're invoking uh the bartender and the sage words of the bartender i mean this is the episode that finally gives us some kind of nod mm. albeit somewhat obliquely to yes. gtf dubs um GTF dubs. magic has an amazing speech uh with jen towards the end where he talks about the arc of history magic quotes martin luther king where he says I don't believe beliefs are random. I don't believe it's all just a roll of the dice. The moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. That's what I think we are, what Quantum Leap is, part of whatever mysterious force bends that arc for the better. That to me is at tantamount to finally admitting that there might be some kind of higher power, whatever you call it, uh, at play here. Aside from Ben's machinations, aside from future Ian leaping, aside from Martinez coming into the picture, um, Magic sees a bigger, bigger picture. And I loved, <laughs> loved, loved getting back to that. I agree with you, Chris, that, you know, it's great seeing the allusion to GTF dubs and the fact that um, he mm. says that he doesn't think that the leaps are random. And I mean, we already knew that because they were pre pre-programmed, but the fact that, you know, there are, there is this sort of grand design that he's seeing and that, you know, they had to pre-program the leaps this way because mm. there is some, something bigger going on. You know, it, it makes perfect sense in the, in the grand scheme of quantum leap. It really feels like, you know, the writers had been listening to all the, you know, the concerns and criticisms that everyone had had, that it didn't feel enough like a continuation of the original story. And 
So they've said, all right, we're going to do this episode as the perfect continuation. All right. And one thing that did confuse me to that point that you were making, Hayden, that Ben is sort of the architect of where he's going now to slingshot to whatever future point. But then Ian says something right in the beginning. They say Ben cannot target a specific place in time. How is that not a direct contradiction to everything we've been building towards since the beginning of the show? Did anyone notice okay. that? Because I'm still you know, scratching my head over that one. Well, it, it depends how. <laughs> yeah, um, I, th- this is pure headcanon stuff, but it depends how specific those uh, places and times are that we we saw when uh, they first brought up that big 3D map in episode two, three, whatever it was. I, I've always been of the belief that uh, Ben Ben is on some kind of route that he's he's mapped out himself. And that route may not be that specific. And that's where GTFW is stepping in and saying, all right, well, if you need to be in the late 80s, 1989 on this warship is the place you need to be to fix this thing. And so there is an element of both, which is, it kind of marries up with the original series in that, you know, Sam was trying to make some some leaps and possibly the first one was fairly targeted, but then GTFW was stepping in and, and guiding. This may be a bit more of both where... Ben has has done some plotting, but still there is that element of GTFW saying, this is the person, this is the time, this is the place. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you there, Matt. I think uh, the way I saw it was, okay, Ben might not be able to specifically target you know, this warship at this particular point in time, but there might be a particular mm. ballpark that he might want to end up in. If he wants to end up in the far future, yeah, exactly. then he's got to end up in the ballpark of these particular places first to us within a certain degree mm-hmm. and then he can be slingshotted as far out as he needs to go i'm of two minds about it i thought uh, one possibility was maybe that um when ben was programming his route or whoever's helping him also helping him program it maybe he had snap on to where he'd go i want to go about there and it went Boop, you know just to get it an event that uh would help um the other thought i had was maybe he specifically we won't find out until Ben gets his memory back, but maybe he went back specifically uh, because of Addison's father, and maybe that he needed to do that to change what happened yeah. in the future, but we won't know that. I think how the writer Dean Georgeris wrote this, it was very well done because it left it open to whatever interpretation we're seeing, but also uh, it gives them more options in the future. Or I'm sure they already have a plan for it, but it, it I really enjoyed that part of it. The, the whole tie into Addison. I also think that, like, he might have to go to certain places in a certain order, kind of like a continuation of what my dad was saying, where, like, he might have had to do that to change the future to where he's going to leap to next. So then it can have a certain outcome. Maybe some other leap made sure that that person, like, one person on the ship was there and that made a difference that day and just doing leap by leap could make out the outcome of saving addison that's a cool thought like so he's on a train and he's laying the track in front of him as he goes Mm. brilliant kiddo i love it love it (laughs) i have a podcasting brain (laughs) in the jeans you sure do (laughs) i mean i was listening to my parents podcasting when i was a little baby 
True. But I mean, that being said, he's got his plans, but uh, we see here with the return of Martinez that uh, someone mm. is working against him. Uh, uh, mind blown. Uh, everybody, uh, Matt, I, I just want you to start. Where do we begin with <laughs> yeah. Martinez? I mean, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> you know, you know, I was so happy to see the reuse of the footage of him saying, I know who you are, Dr. Ben Song from the year 2022. <laughs> I, I felt like I felt like they did that for me. Uh, <laughs> best line of the show. Uh, oh, I, I know. Uh, the people know you. Mm-hmm. I know Hayden touched on this at the start, but um, it, it's a shame for those of us that have been scouring the production, uh, the production photos, um, that we knew that Martinez had leaped into Walker. Um, there's a, such a wonderful uh, trail that's left through the episode of ah, here's this kooky guy Walker from Mississippi, and uh, that's that's really fun, and then a shock ending, which those of us that have seen the photos were was expecting. Um, but yeah, I mean. The the thing that interests me is Dean had sort of hinted that uh, this episode was going to be an arc-heavy one, and I had this vision of it being a big showdown um, with with loads of Martinez in it. And actually, it's just a regular leap that has sown a whole bunch of seeds that I guess is going to pay off in 118. So I, I feel teased and excited for the next four weeks. But um, yeah, I, I I need more Martinez in my life. I'm more Janice, but we'll come back to that. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, can I just say, on when Ben was on the phone, remember there's the part where he says, oh, who's this? And then he asks, oh, is, you know, who there? I'm sorry, I don't remember what their names were. But mm-hmm. he's like, who's this? Is who is What's his name there? And then he puts what's his name on. It's Walker. Walker. Do you reckon, yeah. Do you reckon he's noticing there that it's Martinez's voice and it's not the voice of the person that he was expecting? No, because he was talking to Martinez the whole time. But Walker, Martinez was in Walker. Now, I have a theory on this because um, he was talking to Martinez as Walker throughout on the comm. And then he, on the third pass, somebody else is on the comm. And then Martinez comes back to the comm. Could he be talking to two different Martinez's at that point? <sighs> right. <laughs> so who knows? Because what I love about the fact um, that we, we got the Martinez reveal, um, he says something to the effect to Ben, um, you helped me. I reckon I couldn't have done what, it, what I, what you did from where I was sitting. And Ben is like, I don't understand. And Martinez is like, yeah, that's why I'm going to win. And, do you the other thing that I loved about when I when you got the reveal and you knew who Walker was throughout the entire thing, he was just straight up messing with Ben yeah. throughout the whole episode with that Mississippi stuff and yeah. the you know what'd you think I threw it away and it's just like just little needles you know yes and this to me is like the best possible manifestation of the mystery box right because we don't know yet what's going on we do not have the bigger picture but. Having Ben be the stand-in for us, not knowing either, not understanding, and then having the bad guy basically twirl his mustache and leap. I mean, epic. Beautiful moment. I loved every single bit of it. Yes. I had no idea that Walker was Walter Perez, um, Martinez, Leaper X, until, of course, the second viewing. Because I didn't recognize his voice. 
uh, over the, over the comms, uh, the first time. Uh, but watch rewatching it when it's somebody else. And, uh, Ben was like, who is this? Uh, put Walker on. I thought maybe, uh, Martinez has had leaped into Walker, then leaped out. And then, then he leaped back in and is kind of like on hold or something, you know? Uh, so, uh, I enjoyed that part. A little bit of behind the scenes info about, uh, Leaper X in this episode is, um, when, uh, Dean first wrote this episode, there was no, uh, Martinez in it at all. Mm. Uh, Martin had asked him to put that in there and Martin actually wrote the final scene of the episode when it was about, um, Leaper X and Ben. So that's interesting. And that's uh, executive producer Martin Jarrell, right? Yes. Well, this episode made me think maybe we've got Martinez, Leaper X all wrong. When he said, I couldn't have done what I did without you, it made me think maybe Ben isn't leaping to try and stop Martinez. Maybe Ben leaping to save Addison is then what has caused some sort of cataclysm and Martinez has now had to go and leap to try and stop Ben and put right some of the things that Ben got wrong during his leaps. So maybe it could actually be the case that if Martinez hadn't been there, Ben wouldn't have been able to succeed in the leap and then actually did cause World War Three, or something along those lines. And maybe Martinez had to do something from his end in order to be able to actually get it back on track and get the outcome that we ended up having. So, like, the wording that he uses is always really interesting. He's like, he's saying, don't follow me. Maybe it's because Martinez has had to go back and keep track of what Ben's been doing and trying to um, get all of Ben's actions back on track. Maybe there's more mistakes going on that we're not seeing because Martinez is, like, behind the curtain putting some of those extra things back on track. What do you think? Right. And I, you know what? I was thinking that too. Um, and the fact, this is what confuses me. Um, I, I'm sort of in your headspace with this, Hayden. But the fact that at the very end, he says, that's why I'm going to win. They're obviously working somehow at cross purposes with one another, even though on this leap, whatever, what it seemed to me, Ben's presence on this leap was a useful accident for Martinez in achieving his goals. Maybe somehow As it, once we reveal the bigger picture, I'm hoping that it slots into place and we're like, Oh yeah. You know, and we'll get the, the whole puzzle revealed and everything will fit together. But I still feel that there's some kind of antagonism there. And clearly Martinez does not think that he is the bad guy. He thinks that Ben is the bad guy. That's what I picked up from this. So weeks ago, we're, we're they all kept the hero on talking in our own about, story. Yeah, exactly. And they kept on talking about, are we really doing, are we really the heroes here? Are we, are we doing the right thing? So I'm just so intrigued to see where this goes because it's just like, oh, it's so juicy. And finally, you know, we're going to get mystery box nonsense. Give me this kind of mystery box nonsense, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And you know, it could be that perhaps Ben's leaped back to try and save Addison, but Martinez has an idea of what happens if Addison survives, and maybe in his mind he sees, no, Addison has to die for the greater good. Maybe that's where this antagonism comes in, and he sees it as this tug of war, either Addison lives or Addison dies, and there's going to be two very different world outcomes, depending on what happens 
who manages to win at the end. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I'd love the fact that Martina sees Ben as his useful idiot. <laughs> She's yeah. the greatest. <laughs> yeah. I love the mystery box stuff and I love the Martina stuff, the Leaper X stuff. And uh, let's take a look uh, at what we know. Ben was told to leap uh, in, in Addison's place by Ian from the future that leapt back to tell Ben that. So it's, I think it's the possibility that Ben and is on a personal mission to hope maybe save Addison and not just leaping for the greater good. So it might be a, a reveal at some point that if you had to go, you know, good leaper, evil leaper, that Ben is the evil leaper because he's trying to accomplish his goal no matter the effect, you know, mm-hmm. like um, in Fringe, when you 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 go across uh, realities to get your kid back or something, you don't care about destroying a whole, you know, reality if you get your kid back. So he might, Ben, we might find out later, doesn't care about destroying the world and causing an Armageddon as long as he gets Addison back. And I think yeah. that's a possibility as to where we're going, but I, I don't know that. And also, what did you guys think? I know we talked a little bit about it um, when the production uh, photos came out, but uh, Walter Perez had some gray in his hair, which leads me to believe mm-hmm. that the Walter Perez we're seeing now, the Leaper X we're seeing now, is from uh, maybe 10, 15 years in the future, and he's been leaping yeah. this whole time. Uh, so yep. what are your thoughts on why and uh, that's taken place, and why is that a point that they made? He he does he does make a point to say, um, oh, you came across the younger me, you know who I am. I mm. but he probably did not have any useful intel to give you. So they did make mention of the fact that yeah. you know we have a younger and an older Martinez, and I noticed that in the press photos that he had uh, the gray in his hair. I had mentioned it to Matt, yeah. so mm-hmm. I kind of expected that we were going to be dealing with a, an older Martinez here. Mm. But yeah, how long maybe this guy the been gray leaping? hair just happens from you know, leaping. We saw it happen with Sam. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Gray hair and cro- crow's feet. Yeah, yeah. So he's got that white spot. Uh, yeah, I, I got nothing. I got Matt. Come to my rescue. <laughs> uh, with what? <laughs> with with with, with, with Alex's point going? about like 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 Mart yeah like what Martinez what's he's playing some what what's his long game <laughs> yeah I just I I do hope that um that Martinez isn't just a, a mustache twirling vil- villain who's trying to take over the world I hope that he does believe he's doing the right thing and uh and Albie's point is a is a perfect example of that where the the, the right thing may be very different uh if you've got a personal stake in it as um as Ben does. So yeah, I I think that's perfectly plausible. Yeah. And let's not forget too, that they, in the episode where they went and visited Martinez at his home, they went out of their way to show that he's, you know, this person with a squeaky clean military record who will immediately jump at the opportunity to, you know, um, to serve his country and to, um, you know, help out where needed Mm -hmm. that, if that's the sort of person that we're dealing with, unless he's a very good actor, uh, it does make me think that, you know, he's trying to do something for the greater good somewhere along the way, even if it's against what Ben wants. Kind of earlier in the episode, um, when Drake said, I know, but like if we follow the rules, the ship might sink or something. 
but just follow the rules and like you won't get in trouble from that just looking like back from the futures like somebody else looking back you don't have anything to blame if you did the like if you did what you were supposed to so yeah i was mm. just like you could just follow the rules Speaking of Drake, I like the fact that uh, he called out Moby Dick because his character was basically Captain Ahab. He was going after that sub uh, no matter mm -hmm. what it did to anybody else. So I, I like that little uh, mention, that little uh, showing of it. Good Easter. <laughs> Reminds me of First Contact. Drake's character was interesting because he just seemed determined to take out the Chinese, whether he had recourse to do it or not. And... Uh, so it does show that there is, you know, a lot of bias in a lot of different people and that affects people's decisions. So, and especially in the climate that we're in at the moment, I think that a lot of people watching would probably agree with him, take them out while you can. I don't, but I think that a lot of people will resonate with that character simply because of, you know, what's going mm -hmm. on in the world at the moment. I like the moment when Drake looked at himself in the reflection and realized what he was doing and how he wasn't proud of himself. And he, that was the mm. moment when he decided. So another, another take on, you know, the man in the yeah. air, even though it's himself. And just maybe somebody's leaping into him. On the point of Martinez as well. Um, let's not forget in the episode also, um, Ben was having a lot of trouble with his maths and he, they were saying, we've only got 1,100 feet, 1,000 feet, 900 feet. We need these results straight away. And he's like, well, I'm, a, I'm kind of in the ballpark. Just do this and that. I actually think that maybe what Martinez was doing was he's got the knowledge of where the mines are. And when he's got the the approval to shoot, he actually knows where to send. Them. So that's what, uh, that's what I think Martinez was actually doing. He was the one ensuring that they get through the minefield. It kind of reminds me, like, when they do, like, kind of should i say like flash forwards or flashbacks it's like um where he was writing down all the math it kind of reminded me of that scene because he was trying to figure out math he was writing math in i think the same color marker or something mm -hmm. and kind of the same board so it kind of reminded me of that i didn't know if they did that on purpose or not but i just noticed that mm. Well, now we're talking about math. I think that we've mined. <laughs> ha, you get it? Mind. Just about all we're going to from this episode of Quantum Leap. So, um, yeah, math is my cue to drop out. So why don't we get some <laughs> final thoughts on SOS? Matt, we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, no, nothing we've talked about has dissuaded me from the fact that um, this is uh, this is an episode that I, I – cannot find critique with there is some there's some wonderful action um brandon has some fantastic emotional moments which he just he grabs with both hands and does such a good job with i i was i was tense i was crying and of course leaper x um is it my favorite episode of the series so far no because there's some episodes that have have been flawed but have, have been to some really interesting places but it's consistently good for 42 minutes and um i can't fault it for that it's very watchable how about you albie i'm gonna give it a definitely a hard seven out of five uh low resonance steel uh, mines because <laughs> i it had me on the edge of my seat 
Uh, I was, uh, if I had one criticism of the episode, Walter Perez's name being in the opening credits for casual viewers that aren't, you know, looking Mm -hmm. at production photos and stuff that would ruin it for them right there. That's something they should put at the end. Uh, I know contracts are different, but there's ways to do that. And so that that's a little disappointing because that, that is a great reveal leaper x and and when when you can know it's coming for 40 minutes it's it's not as exciting um yeah. the episode had me on the edge of my seat like i was saying it was uh very good i loved the i loved uh brandon in it i loved uh caitlin in it their scenes together were great the father-daughter dynamic learning more about addison was great and um i overall i just enjoyed it and i was surprised how much i did enjoy it uh, but yeah, man, it's great. How about you, Rennie? Um, I like just to start off. I would probably rate it a four out of five mines, and <laughs> <laughs> they could have done a little bit better. But like, it was a really, really good episode, and I. Like, I loved it, but, like, as Matt was saying, like, it's not my favorite episode, but it definitely is amazing. Cool. And Hayden? I know that Deborah's been saying how much she wanted to do Kisses with History. Um, she missed out on the perfect opportunity to do one here because uh, this was, I think, May 1989. Well, <laughs> Shares If I Could Turn Back Time was released in July of 1989. And what they could have done is said, all right, as a reward, you're getting this special show and then find when they get back to port that Cher's going to be entertaining them and then have the song Turn Back Time play over the credits or something like that. So uh, they really missed out because the timing would have been absolutely perfect. Uh, but having said that, I am going to give this episode five gun turrets straddling shares entertaining the troops out of five. And there's nothing wrong with your head cannon saying that happened, Hayden. Exactly. There's nothing to say it didn't, so. Yeah, there's nothing to say there's. Okay, you're a lunatic. Anyway, well, I, said um, that start. <laughs> I, I, I don't have much to add. I think you guys have said it all. I just think that this was a solid episode of Quantum Leap, as solid an episode of Quantum Leap that the reboot series has given us. And. I am excited to see the next four or five episodes that we have left. Um, I hope that they build on the momentum that we've gotten here. And um, just a special shout out to Brandon Routh. Um, when I first heard that he was cast as Addison's dad, I was happy. When um, when Addison described him as stoic and unfeeling, I was just like, huh? Brandon Routh? Mr. Goofy Grin himself, Brandon Routh? But he did a wonderful job uh, playing a nuanced, uh, mm. playing a nuanced character, a believable character. And um, yeah, as much as I like the leap stuff, I like the history stuff. I like the lore stuff. I just liked everything about this episode. It was a really good episode. Thank you, Dean, for writing it. Um, one of the standouts so far of the series. So I'm going to say that that puts this discussion of SOS in the books. But stay tuned because when we come back, we will be bringing you that interview with Brandon Ralph. But first, uh, Hayden, don't we have some bills to pay? Yeah, we do. Well, look, we're sponsored by Can Pakes once again. And look, Albie, how many times have you noticed somebody just talking to themselves out of thin air? And 
I know us Quantum Leap fans really do like that, and we think that Sam Beckett or Ben Song are out there putting right what once went wrong, but chances are they're actually experiencing the brand new hallucinogenic Cam Pakes maple cubes. Uh, they will give you the most intelligent conversation you have ever had in your life. So make sure you go on to quantumleappodcast.com slash campakes and try out the brand new maple cubes. And yeah, you're going to have the most intelligent, eye-awakening experience of your life. Legal in all 57 states. Absolutely. And uh, right now, if you use our code, which is uh, Quantum Leap After Show, and also for this one, you could do QLP, um, you get 23% off until the end of season one of uh, Quantum Leap. <laughs> I feel like I just <laughs> slipped into a parallel universe. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. This is Raymond Lee and you are listening to the quantum leap podcast. All right, guys, I know, I, I know, you know, this song. Da, 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 da. Everybody. Da, 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 da. Indiana Jones. Da, 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 da. Superman. <laughs> Matt, don't tell me. You know that that is the theme to Superman. And course, as man. promised, here is our interview with Brandon Routh. Hello, Leapers. This is Chris, and I am joined today with Matt, Albie, and Serenity to welcome to the podcast our very special guest, Mr. Brandon Routh. Brandon, welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Great. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Hi, uh, this this is a uh, just a terrific honor for us. I mean, we've spoken to um, most of the main cast and most of the guest cast, but I never thought that Quantum Leap would allow me to speak to Superman himself. So <laughs> welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Very um, super to have you. Uh, <laughs> Wait, was that a pun? Yeah, we get a lot of those around here. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you you certainly need no introduction to most fans listening now. Um, with your turn as Superman and your involvement with the CW's Arrowverse as the Adam Ray Palmer, can you tell us how you jumped franchises uh, and came to Quantum Leap? Uh, well, um, I think uh, you know it all started with Superman. Really, <laughs> put me in the genre <laughs> for sure, um, and then. Uh, I don't really think uh, being part of Legends of Tomorrow necessarily helped as far as my qualifications of being part of a time-traveling show. Uh, <laughs> but uh, certainly bringing Ray Palmer to life was helpful in, in all of that. Um, but I, I, I got a lovely, um, had a lovely meeting with Dean uh, Jugaris, uh, one of the co-showrunners. They presented the, the, the script to me, or the outline of the script, and um, told me about the significance of the role I'd be playing which was exciting. And I was a big Quantum Leap fan from growing up, a uh, child of the, the 80s and, and 90s, uh, watching Quantum Leap. And um, I was very excited. had an amazing meeting with him. And um, also, the, the kicker was that the episode was going to be filmed on the USS Iowa, which is docked in uh, Long Beach, California. And I'm from Iowa. And they had a dedication uh, about 10 years ago for the USS Iowa when it when it uh, they were opening it as a museum there, but I wasn't able to attend, so it was very cool to be able to be there 
and uh, be on it and film on it and participate. So it, it felt like the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, um, I wanted to ask you about sort of the filming location and the circumstances, yeah. because this episode of Quantum Leap is so much more action oriented than we usually get on the show. And yes. you had some really tight intense scenes and when you were filming the location was the iowa what were those stage sets were were you filming mainly on the boat or was it just the exteriors like tell us what the shooting was like because it was so unique to to leap you know uh the first three days were on the uss iowa we were inside the ship we were on the exterior of the ship um we used as much of the ship as possible um all of i think all of the scenes involving the um, what is it called? The the threat threat display. The the can't remember the technical name for the for the two places. One was the darker darker room uh, where we're looking over the screen and managing you know what's happening, and then the exterior where you're seeing out onto the ship through the windows, the main command area where both uh, amazing sets that set deck and our team and carpenters and everybody made which is like the real thing. Yeah, it seems to me like it, very claustrophobic, almost like you were on a submarine at, at times. Yeah, I mean, I have not been on a submarine, and I think there's probably like even less room on a submarine. But certainly, <laughs> being six three, trying to traverse and run through the halls of the actual ship was challenging. I was a permanent stoop for for, for three days uh, to make sure that I didn't get a concussion. <laughs> I didn't, so that's good. Thank goodness, right? So, um, you had mentioned that. Um, when reading the script, you had spoken to Dean about sort of the pivotal role of your character, not only in the episode, but in the larger Quantum Leap universe. They introduced yeah. us in this episode to Addison's father. How did knowing this influence the way you approached the role? Did you feel um, more more pressure because of it? Uh, I mean, I, I felt a little pressure. I don't really feel, doesn't it feel like, I mean, everybody has their own definition, I guess, what pressure is, but didn't it say feel like pressure, but... I felt I felt uh, honored by it. So for me, it's pressure, but it's uh, I take it on as as like okay, now I have to step up. So it is pressure, but I don't in the, in acting situations. I guess I don't fear it. I just go okay. So now I got to I just got to bring it, and that you know, so it made it more appealing to be a bigger part. Even though it was one episode, it was a bigger part of the lore and the history um, of the show, and so. Um, that's what, you know, made it exciting for me. It wasn't just a, a one-off, you know, character. As well as it being a, a pivotal role, it's also a, a very, um, deep and emotional role. There's a lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of quite dark places you had to go to. Was that yeah. something that was clear when, when it was being pitched to you? And did that give you pause in terms of whether to accept the role and, and how you approached it? Or, yeah. or did that just come out afterwards? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good question. Um, so I didn't actually, they, when uh, they approached me, they didn't have a full script yet. They had a, a very detailed outline of like what most scenes and kind of like a little bit of a scripting of what might be said and of like the main point, the main thrust of a scene. And I think the two major scenes in my quarters were kind of laid out and talked to Dean about that. And for me, um, I guess it might still surprise most people uh, who've been watching me or, or don't know of my career much, but my first love is comedy. Um, it's the style of acting that I have the most fun at on a day-to-day basis and um, I'm most free uh, when I'm able to be silly and irreverent. So this was uh, 
the opposite of that. But I, I'm in a place in my career and in my life, I guess, where I'm working on emotional authenticity and really being able to speak truthfully in those heavy moments. So this was an opportunity to practice that in a very big, very big, real, real way. Because it wasn't, you know, monsters attacking or aliens or, you know, something sci-fi. Because that's normally where I play. This was real life, you know, father, son, excuse me, father, daughter, and son, father um, dynamics playing. So I was, I was a little bit hesitant, but also like, oh, this is an opportunity to learn. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through this door, and I'm gonna, you know, put my best foot forward. Uh, in this episode, uh, it was very emotional. The scenes with you and uh, Addison. Uh, did you pull anything from your real life experiences uh, to inform your character in this episode? Oh, well, most definitely. Um, having now a, a 10-year-old son, had a wealth of experience um, with fatherhood and being a parent and having knowing how a parent's emotions and, and behaviors affect a child. So understanding Alexander's father's, uh, his relationship with his father, his birth father, and the trauma that was created through that experience him wanting to move away from that and seek another more positive father figure in the captain of the ship. That was intriguing. And then just knowing also that, you know, as a, as a parent, you want the best uh, for your child. And sometimes, and I can see how Alexander got to a place in his, in his experience where he thought I have to remove myself from her life to a degree so that my darkness, my trauma is not put on her. Now, there are other ways to handle this, as we know now <laughs> in the tw- in the in twenty twenty three, therapy <laughs> can help us, you know, so we can engage. Because the best option is not to abandon <laughs> your child, uh, because that creates its own trauma. Even if it's a better trauma than mm-hmm. you know um, than than the other side. But uh, anyway, I have a question. Do you? <clears throat> Two questions, actually. Even though you didn't get to have any scenes, per se, with Caitlin, Mm -hmm. because you can't see or hear her technically, did you guys discuss the body language that you would have around each other and how, even though you aren't communicating, uh, you know, was there any discussion about sort of the backstory that they had and the way that you played when you were in the same scene together? Great question. Uh, No. No, we didn't. You know, I, I, I watched three or four episodes of the show. Um, before I before I'd, I'd gone on the set, and I think I'd seen her her stoicness, her 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 matter of fact um, delivery, and the fact that she in real life, you know, had uh, extensive military service, and and that I think that's also the backstory of of her character. Um, I mean, so that is kind of I didn't really reflect that necessarily, but I saw that, and so I just you know that was part of military. <laughs> I mean, my 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 observance of of someone. Who's, who served and who was a leader. Um, so I adopted, you know, I stepped into those shoes. Um, but other than that, no, no, not really. I mean, we had many discussions about the, the last scene um, that we're in together. And that was more from a technical standpoint. Um, you know, I, I asked if she would like to, to, to film her side first or my side first. Uh, sometimes, you know, when you have an emotional, uh, emotional scene, one person had like in that in that scene, 
she has the emotion. She has the dialogue. She has all the emotion. It's her scene. I, I'm, I'm participating, but it's mostly her scene. And um, sometimes an actor wants to go first because they don't want to use all that energy, that, that emotional energy on while the camera's filming me. Um, but if they're not ready, sometimes they want to go second and, you know, pre- rehearse, rehearse, and rehearse more. So that was, I mean, we had discussions like that. No more technical stuff because they don't have a, you know, she was three or four when I, you know, in 80, in 89. So we, there wasn't much interaction between us that would, that would uh, inform. So I guess that leads to the second part of my question. Um, Cause it's right there at the end of the episode, she, she gives that speech and she mentions that you were um, the person who shaped her, that, that, that taught her everything that she knew. And that to me implied that her history with her father had been altered because of the events of the leap. Is that how you guys took it? Or was there any discussion on that? Because it's only implied, or at least that's what I infer from the scene. It, it, I believe the way that the timey whiny this mm-hmm. is that the events that happen in the episode have not reflected into her future until like further at like the next episode. I mean, the legends of tomorrow is we always played with that. It's like, Oh, it takes some time for her time <laughs> to, to harden, uh, to, to solidify. And then other episodes like, Oh, it's happening now. So, you know, we <laughs> played with that, uh, logic, but, um, but yeah, I think the effects of what she learned and the relation how the relationship grows with her father in 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 that in episode thirteen um, will be seen, you know, in further episodes, whatever that might be for for her. And it's probably slight, you know, um, adjustments. But when you first uh, talked to Dean and uh, took this role, uh, was there a discussion of multiple appearances, multiple episodes? Do you know of any future episodes you might be in? Um, I, I I have not been asked to 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 return yet uh but there's been there have been uh there have been uh um well, what i say oh it'd be cool to have you back mm-hmm. um um sentiments you know it's a it's a time it's a time travel show so who's to say mm-hmm. uh who couldn't come back in what capacity whether it's the 89 version of me or the 2023 version of, of my character i don't know I would, I would absolutely love to, to come back. It was a wonderful, wonderful, welcoming cast and crew. Everyone, it was just a joy to be there, to participate. You know, it's not, it's not every job that that happens. Um, the best jobs in this business, um, even if the final outcome isn't what you uh, intend for, the day to day is what it's about, uh, and enjoying creating. Uh, whether just with uh, your fellow actors or with the entire crew, you build a family and you build uh, a team. And you know they they accepted me as an adopted part of the family for uh, for eight days, and it was great. I guess the only challenge is if it's the nineteen seventy nine version of your character that comes back. Uh, yeah, <laughs> unless you unless you fancy that particular challenge in real life. Um, I had a silly question uh, while you and Caitlin and Raymond were uh, in the cabin set, your character's cabin. Uh, the pictures on the wall, were those pictures of Caitlin? Did you guys talk about that? Or was just, that just some uh, set deck that they took from something else? I think they weren't Caitlin. I can't re- I remember her having a reaction to seeing them, that it was either the the, the the pictures that they chose or that they they weren't 
her? I can't. So I can't. I can't remember. I know that the pictures of myself and my wife, and we did those on the on the Universal back lot. Um, and a lovely young actress um, came in and, and was my wife for a day. I've had to do that other times uh, where somebody comes in um, just solely for for photographs. But it's you know everybody's important. That's the thing. You know you can come in and I've 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 done other photos like that where that person comes in and is kind of not alive in their face and it makes the photo now look great um <laughs> and it's a big part even though you don't say anything you appear in the episode only in the small way all that stuff is important and she you know, she did a great job you had mentioned earlier that um you were a fan of the original quantum leap do you have any specific memories of the show growing up or um like what's your experience with with the original um, I, I can't pull from any specific episodes. It's mostly about Dean and Scott's disconnection and their friendship that, that sticks with me. Um, and just the overall energy of the show of that hope and not being too afraid of the unknown. Um, that kind of, for me, I guess, persists, uh, persisted in, in, in viewing it. It was, you know, in that time, there, there was not a lot of five, you had your three, what, four channels at that time. Yeah. Um, three channels, three, mm-hmm. um, and PBS. So, um, and we didn't have cable for a long time. Uh, so, you know, TV was uh, a big deal for me. I think Rennie had a question. Yes. How is it being Superman? It's, um, it's amazing. It's one of those um, opportunities that still is somewhat elusive at times to kind of just be able to hold. Because here in my house, I'm just dad. And sometimes I'm the dad that somebody's not happy with because I, I lay down the law and have to set boundaries. Um, and other times I'm, you know, I can be fun dad. But then we go outside uh, and somebody's like, hey, it's Superman. And you know, it's a whole different than I than I shift into, uh, you know, a different uh, part of uh, a part of myself, I guess, to help represent the energy and spirit of Superman, which which lives inside me, which lives inside everybody. Uh, I just think because of my work as the character, I've attuned to to him more, but um, but not fully. I'm gonna walk around uh, imagining I'm Superman. But uh, it's an amazing thing. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing to know that the most important thing, the most important and the coolest part of it is knowing that the art that I helped create along with all of the other amazing artists who worked on Superman Returns and who worked on Crisis on Infinite Earths is that this can really help lift people out of darkness, even if it's for a few hours and to point toward better possibilities that do exist. That even though we can be sad at times, that all sh- everything shifts and changes, and um, and Superman is a beacon of light. And um, very proud and grateful that I get to help represent that and, and carry that torch in a little way. Now, give us the scoop. I know that um, James Gunn is overseeing the rebranding of the DCEU, yeah. and uh, we have some um, multiple timelines in the new Flash movie. Are you going to be brandishing the big red S in Ezra Miller's Flash movie coming up? Oh, Come on, you can not. tell us. Certainly not. <laughs> certainly not in the new Flash movie. Uh, the betrayal looks amazing. I'm very excited to, to see that. 
uh, and as beyond that project, I have I have no idea. I, I would absolutely love to. And I would jump at the chance um, to to participate uh, again, whether it be as um, as Superman or as Ray Palmer. Um, I think uh, I, I like to think that Ray can be used in any of those worlds and, and matches well um, in, in that world as well. So um, I don't know. I I can tell you that I'm very excited and I have. Oh, I'm excited to see what what James and Peter um, bring forth because if there's one thing I know, it's that James loves comic books and appreciates them and values them and values the relationships that are created. The most important thing that happens in his films and his superhero films, especially in Guardians of the Galaxy, which are excellent, I think my favorites actually of, of the Marvel Universe, is the relationships uh, between these disparate these disparate characters. But he creates family, found family. And that's so important. It's such an important message. So I'm excited for, for what comes next. It's funny when you say found family, I can only think of Legends. And when I heard that you were going to be on this episode, I was excited because I was a fan of Legends. But Thanks. then when, uh, <laughs> when Addison described you as cold and distant and uh-huh. kind of a hard ass... All I could think of you is, you know, as Ray with that big goofy grin, always geeking out. And, uh, it was, it was a little bit for me to say, okay, let me see how Brandon does it. I think he did great, but, right. um, I think that the ensemble nature of, um, Legends was terrific. And also the fact that you guys were so irreverent and self-referential. Can you tell us a bit about what it was like to work on that show for so long? Because it evolved so much over the yeah. course of the seasons that it was on. Uh, to the point where you made yourselves the butt of jokes sometimes in the yeah. in the overall universe yeah. of uh, I guess the Flash and, and and Arrow. So especially Arrow, Arrow was so dark. You went from the darkest show on the CW to the funniest <laughs> show on the CW. So yeah, well, I was the funny. I was the funny in in Arrow uh, season three anyway, and so then they they took me and transplanted me over into Legends of Tomorrow, which you know just then grew. Uh, and I, you know, I think, I think that's because when Legends started out, they had an idea where they wanted to use all these talented actors and cool characters, put them on a show and had an idea for the first season. And then we kind of were open to what was going to happen next. And I think that was one of the, the cool parts of the show was that structurally they didn't stick to, oh, it has to be this way, which was a little bit frustrating for actors because then i was like wait but this rule we set up and then right here now we're like where am i where's the floor right this time (laughs) can we change time can we not so that was frustrating from like an actor standpoint but it it really allowed uh freedom to to for the show to grow and change and i think it really became the best version of itself in season three uh through the evolution of season three and then season four i think was the best season of the show and uh you know i they gave so Ray was the comedy, and what he was doing comedy in 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 the first step first season. But Ray was more broad, and and then as the actors and characters grew, it became a little bit more broad. And I and I just kept taking that I would just take an inch and and or give an inch and take I would take a mile and see how far I could push it because that's what I that's the fun that's the joy. And um, the writers responded and the cat, everyone else, you know, uh, did as well. And, you know, we and the writers then put us in, you know, crazy, outlandish, ridiculous positions. And you either had to 
believe it and go with it and swim or or sink. And we thankfully we swam. We swam. <laughs> when they were doing the uh, crisis crossover, uh, that was the huge event for the entire CW. And uh, was it a given, like from the get go, that you were going to reprise your role as Superman? No, no, not at all. That was a very, really um, challenging time. The beginning of that, uh, the inception of that, because uh, I had just found out that um, I would not be returning for all of season five. That they were they uh, decided that uh, my wife and I and Nora Dark played Nora Dark, Courtney Ford played Nora Dark uh, were going to be leaving the show um, halfway through season five, which was uh, a huge huge uh disappointment is such a small word um it was quite crushing for us because we loved those characters and we loved that show that world uh and then a few weeks later i got a call from mark guggenheim who had stepped back as a, a, a couple seasons ago um from legends and was overseeing a bunch of you know everything in in the you know cw uh verse pretty much and all the crossovers and he said hey you know would you be interested in you know playing ray in the crossover but also like playing a character with a different colored suit and i said wait you're are you talking about superman he said yeah so i said wow i i was just i was very shocked i i didn't i was held open the possibility but didn't but thought it was incredibly low that cw uh, Warner Brothers and DC would all sign off on, on, on me returning, um, but it was it was true, and um, that um, helped kind of turn a little bit of that terribleness um, into a little bit uh, not so terrible for me, and really helped me gain closure on on Superman. You know, uh, it was very affirming for me to to just to be asked, and then the response from the fans. Very grateful for that opportunity. This is going to be such a geek question, but <laughs> which did you enjoy playing more, uh, Kal-El or Clark? Is that a cat? I see a cat. Like, <laughs> Something's attacking you, Matt. Yes, yes. My cat likes to join in. She's obviously enjoying the interview, so. <laughs> Hi, what's the cat's name? Scully. Hi, Scully. Oh, thank you. Nice. You have, is there molder somewhere? There is no molder. <laughs> oh, what, one of oh, these days. That's a mystery. Well, that, Tw- um, 12 years, Scully's been searching around for Mulder. Ah, <laughs> uh, the aliens. It's probably aliens. Um, <laughs> the question was... <laughs> Do you like being Soups or Clark point? better? <laughs> oh, Soups or Clark? Yeah. Which was funner to play? Well, Clark is slightly more fun to play. Clark's less pressure. For sure. I don't have to work out as much. Uh, I have to worry about my posture, and I get to be funny and and goofy and, and silly, um, and and be you know a different side of of Kal-El. But Superman has grown on me as I've gotten older. When I got to play him in Crisis, I felt more like I could actually be Superman. You know, um, going from being. 24 25 the first time to 40 that 15 years informed me in many ways and i felt a little bit more wisdom and worldly experience and having been also a father at that time um more grounded um in my 
humanity and like I could actually like you know bring a little bit of um, groundedness to 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 Superman. So it it got the gap got a little bit closer. It's amazing to be Superman, but it's that's more pressuring, more challenging. Uh, could you share with us uh, maybe a story or the feeling you got being on set that we might not see in the episode, but you remember from the eight days filming Quantum Leap? I mean, I, you should just know that like uh, Ray and Caitlin are amazing. They are incredibly welcoming and genuine, um, wonderful human beings, which is awesome from the two stars of the show to have that because sometimes you can, uh, you know, actors, they can have an ego, right? But they, 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 they have a healthy amount, you know, uh, both great leaders of, of the set, welcoming and, and thankful for their crew, knowing that they're part of a team. I think that's such a huge thing. Um, that I appreciate. Uh, and then we had a lot of fun. I mean, you know, Ray's a very funny guy. Um, so, you know, cracking jokes with him and silly puns and stuff that I like to do on set. Um, I mean, the most funny, uh, not the most funny, but the thing that uh, comes to me is, you know, when Caitlin's in a scene when she has dialogue, but the camera's looking at me or one of the other characters, especially all the other guest stars, it's very hard not to like look at her. She's mm-hmm. talking, but we don't see her. So I got me once. They got me once with that. And a couple other people were like, oh, nope, oh, don't look at Caitlin. Okay, she's not there. <laughs> it's It must be difficult not to look at her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a, a, a little bit, but I've, I've, I've trained myself pretty well. I just want to pick up quickly, if I can, on you mentioned about um, Ray and Caitlin's leadership. Um, just in terms of your character, uh, obviously with the, the, the CO being pretty much off his rocker you you were the one displaying the the most leadership as a character what's it like walking onto a set uh, as a, a one-off guest character in an ongoing series and being the one that everyone is turning to uh as as a leader how do you how yeah. do you fake that thinking about i'm thinking back to what was the what were the first scenes that i that i filmed and the first scenes that we that i filmed i think were running um and running going down the steps the stairs uh and bursting out of my quarters and uh taking out the man at arms i did it wasn't a challenge on this on this uh film on this film on this um show i think because i was the xo and they they'd written him so full um that there was enough like understanding of his backstory to know like i could just uh, integrate that information and, and also you know i guess to again to raise credit that when i came on set he wasn't like hey man what's up yep uh-huh yeah so uh this is my set and uh don't <laughs> don't mess it up he, there was none of that attitude we're just open and friendly and the hey come play with us so he you know then his character and you know he just he lowered his energy to be that of below the xo um so it wasn't it wasn't a challenge, I guess. And I and because I played characters akin to Alexander, Superman is incredibly stoic. I hadn't hadn't made the connection until I did another interview a couple of days ago, and, and I realized that actually I was subconsciously pulling from from Superman's stoicism um, in many ways, um, his quiet, his calm, um, 
uh, and that was used in, in Augustine. So I practice at it. So, I mean, now that uh, this episode of Quantum Leap is in the can with maybe more episodes to come, maybe we hope you'll reprise your role and be able to reprise your role. What else is coming up? What, what else can our fans expect to see in? Um, I did a, I did a, a romantic comedy uh, last year called Out of Order. Um, which, uh, I think hopefully will be coming out sometime this year, probably on VOD or some streaming service. Uh, if, if they're able to sell it's independent, but it's a very funny, um, uh, well, hopefully it's funny. It was fun to shoot. Uh, and I played two characters in that actually. Um, uh, and it's with Sam Huntington, uh, who played Jimmy Olsen in Superman Ooh. Returns. And he was also Marcus and Dylan Dog. So this is our third film together. And we're just being kind of silly. It's it's like Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, if Mrs. Doubtfire was, well, I don't turn into a woman, but another <laughs> version of myself where I put on a costume and there's lawyering involved. <laughs> I play both sides of the case, becoming the, <laughs> the both uh, attorneys, prosecuting like and the fun. defending attorney. It sounds amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I think Albie's antennas just went up because he's our resident <laughs> rom-com nerd. He loves oh, every yeah. rom-com. <laughs> so I'll be checking that out. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me on, as you can tell, I'm a little bit of a Superman fan. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's nice to be able to speak to someone who, you know, came back and sort of embodied the legacy that Christopher Reeve um, gave us when building the mm. character. Yeah. And I know that was a very conscious decision on the part of uh, Brian Singer when you guys were yes. making that film. So, yeah. I mean, were there any, um, any anecdotes from that set that you can recall? I know it was so many years ago and uh, this is just me indulging myself. Um, thanks yeah. guys. <laughs> thanks quantum leap fans for putting up with me, but, uh, I have you here now. I, I, I gotta be yeah. a little bit more of a Superman geek. I'm sorry. I think we have a Venn diagram in our fandom. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much. I mean, the cross sections everywhere. I can just be a fan of one, of one, of one of these genre things. Um, so with that legacy in mind, how did that affect how you approached your version of Superman? Were you beholden to what you saw Chris do when he created the character? Mm -hmm. Was that a discussion that you guys had on set about capturing or trying to recapture the feel of the, uh, of the Donner films? How, yeah. how did, how did that manifest itself when you guys were making returns? Mm. It was, it was made clear to me very early on um, from Brian that we were, doing a, a basically a loose sequel to Superman the movie. And because of that, bringing in the energy, Chris's energy, you know, was, was part of the job. Um, I was never asked to, to, to watch Chris to, to, to replicate his movements, to be a carbon copy of him. I was never, never asked to do that. And I, and I didn't watch the movie um, after the casting process. Because I knew it so well, um, I when I read for uh, Brian and Roger Rusinden, the casting director, uh, they had uh, I, there was scenes from a Superman the movie. Um, I think it was just one scene. I think it's the 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 pit the the the, the first time Clark and and or Lois meet um, in the bullpen 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 what it's called glass doors closing office thing um and um 
it was the Clark scene that Brian reflected back to me was why I was meeting with him. Um, that's what grabbed his attention uh, and thought thought maybe I could I could do this job because um, my Superman needed to work. Um, I was always more in tune with Clark. Um, and Clark lives with parts of Clark live with it live inside me. So that was easy for me to 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 bring out and to embody. Um, and that is also here we go connecting the dots. And that is also because uh, Chris is my Superman. The energy of his Clark matches my energy as a person to a large degree. So, had I been asked to play a different version of Superman, I there would I think there was always going to be that element of of Chris's Superman because that that that's Superman that that core that 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 hope he always had that that charm and hope and um and that's that's the key into superman is is hope is is the unwavering hope i mean you know maybe you waver a little bit because that's interesting but you know, obviously he did in moments <laughs> throughout the film series his film series but but he always comes back to to hope and um so that's what I that's what I carried through in my in my performance, and you know, of course, I did the glasses and and uh, and a little bit of those things, uh, funny moments and, and Easter eggs, um, iconic moments. But I, I really worked to make Clark not fumbling. He was just excited um, about interacting with people because he didn't get an opportunity to do that really. Uh, Superman, you don't, and so Clark was like, "Hey, people, hey." Oh, this is cool. And then, you know, so he wasn't like always putting on being Cormzy. It just came out of him playing the role of Clark Kent, a version of himself. That makes sense. No, it does. And that's one of my favorite aspects of the character is that dichotomy between um, Superman and Clark. And I always find myself more interested in Clark, to be honest with you, because is it is it just Cal putting on an act? Is is a commentary on humanity? Is it, or is he just so aw shucks Kansas farm boy at heart that that's the real him? So yeah, I have a whole well, they're, like they're, they're head all, cannon they're, with they're, Superman. <laughs> they're all they're all him. They they are all they are all yeah. parts of him. Maybe he's amping up one part and 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 you know dampening another, but they are all aspects of. Him. We all have many aspects of ourselves. Like I said, when I'm on public, I can step into you know, more of a Superman tone and everything. And my whole presence can shift, but I'm not always Superman and being always Superman like energy is like, it's not as fun as being Clark energy sometimes, you know? <laughs> so I don't think we are all any one thing at any one time, even Superman or Kal-El. Well, again, thank you uh, to my co-hosts and to our, to our listeners for uh, indulging me in my Superman uh, fanboy fanboyisms. Um, I guess uh, we can just maybe bring it back to quantum leap uh, before we let you go or any messages out there, any messages out there for the leapers, anything that you want to say to our listeners, to the fans of quantum leap. Uh, You know, uh, thanks for uh, watching the show and being a fan, spreading the words, um, watching cool genre. Um, that's 
positive and helping helping the world. I hope you enjoy the episode. And I guess I'd just say one other thing for everyone listening that, you know, I've been to a lot of conventions, come to conventions and meet a lot of people. And now as I increase the, increase uh, the, put another genre role in my resume, it, it attracts even more, you know, uh, a, a broader fan base. A common theme, I think, for people who enjoy these shows is that we feel it kind of marginalize ourselves um, and feel like nerds or geeks. Um, and I think that's a disservice. This is a PSA. I guess I'm doing a PSA. It's a disservice <laughs> uh, to, to, to the person and also to the creative work because what sci-fi fantasy does, what these genre projects can do is shape the future. Um, you know, we have to imagine the future before we can create it. So all these outlandish big ideas are really informing where we're going, uh, uh, can inform where we're going uh, as humans and on earth. And I think that's really cool. And also like everybody is a nerd and a geek about something. Some people are geeks and nerds about fantasy football um, and uh, shoes and hair and makeup. Uh, so everybody has their geekdom. Um, so, uh, and most of them also watch these shows. They just are too afraid uh, to like reach out and find community. And I think one of the amazing things that these shows, these genre shows do is create community. And I think that's just so exciting and so awesome. And you guys are helping, you know, help create community and connect us all and show us that we're, that we're all, uh, we all really want the same thing, which is joy, love, and acceptance, um, and health. And, um, and, and that, and that, and that, uh, we can all, we can all get along. I didn't wrap that up as well as I wanted to, but anyway, <laughs> don't devalue yourselves for liking. If you are, just love the things you love freely. Well, I think that's a wonderful note for us to end on. So Brandon, yeah. thank you very much for joining us on the Quantum Leap podcast. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. All right. Um, last night I was telling my friend Sarah, that I was going to talk to Superman today. And she texted back, literally, this is what she texted. Have a good time. Don't fangirl too hard. <laughs> I think I fangirled too hard. <laughs> yeah, you didn't get that text, did you? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of went overboard there on the Superman stuff. I kind of went over the, but I'm um, just enough. geeking out. And uh, thank you, Serenity. And, and Brandon, <laughs> even he came to all of our defenses as geeks and nerds uh, at the very end there. So... I love that man. I've never seen any interviews with him. I didn't know what he was like as a person, but having taken part in that interview, I love him. Yeah. Hey, terrific, terrific times here on the Quantum Leap podcast. Uh, thank you, Matt, for arranging that. We just keep getting them. We just Always keep getting them and uh, just keep moving forward. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Brandon, so much for being on the show. Thank you um, so much for um, the wonderful words for the Quantum Leap fans. And thank you for indulging my love of Superman. I, 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 I am in, in your debt, sir. Um, 
Brandon isn't the only bright light that we have to uh, talk about here because we have a new patron. Everybody, let's give it up for Mr. Harold Sullivan. Woo! Harold, Yay, Harold. thank you so much for supporting Thanks, us. Not only is Harold a new Patreon supporter, he has joined us at the $20 producer level, which means that he will get his name read in the closing credits with a special thanks on every show from here on out. Um, he will also be interviewed by me for an Oh Boy segment, kind of like what you heard with me and Albie in a couple of shows ago. Uh, he will become a part of the Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club and get his own QLP bookmark as uh, a member of that. And he gets access to all of our bonus contents right now. There's around 26 or 27 hours in counting of bonus content available for uh, Patreon subscribers at $5 and above. So thank you so much, Harold Sullivan, for your patronage and for supporting the show. Uh, speaking of patrons, we got some feedback from another patron, a longtime patron uh, since we started uh, the, the reboot series. Her name is Katie Hogan. And Katie writes, hi, QLP crew. I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed your recent episode revisiting Kamikaze Kid. It was wonderful to hear you all talk about the classic show again. Your love for the OG really comes through. It reminds me of just how special the first Quantum Leap was and why they say it's hard to catch lightning in a bottle twice. Alison's critiques of the new series are completely valid and mirror my own feelings. You're not being negative, you're being honest, and I appreciate that the podcast is not afraid to share their opinions, good or bad, about the new series. They're always given with the best intentions for the show and QL's legacy. I've tried my best to give the new show a chance, but it's just not gelling with the original as much as I'd hoped. They've changed too much of what I understood the QL universe to be. I fully agree with Alison. The new show is trying so hard to be its own thing, that it's starting to feel like they are no longer in the same universe. Name-dropping Sam, Al, and Ziggy isn't enough connectivity to call this a sequel or to keep an original QL fan like me coming back. What the producers and writers need to do is hire the QLP crew as consultants, and maybe they could hit a happy medium that draws new audiences, but doesn't disappoint the original fandom. Whether I'm a fan of the new show or not, I still listen to the podcast without fail every week. Keep up the good work. I'm going to cross my fingers that NBC hires you all soon. Kate. Well, I'll just point out I'm currently out of work, so uh, I have free time. <laughs> just putting it out there. I could start a day job. I mean, I got plenty of work to do, but yeah, I, I, I'd I'll jump just on point that out, train, I've got right? lots of story ideas. I, I think Matt is qualified. Sorry. I've got lots of story ideas, just no writing ability. <laughs> Someone write them down for me. <laughs> Matt, Matt's very qualified to be a, a creative consultant uh, when it comes to the history of Quantum Leap and the universe. I you are too kind. I know Katie was just joking about us being hired to to <laughs> recommend things to them, but I think it's uh there's a dangerous part of fandom when uh, fans uh, think they have ownership of a property. It's very important mm. to remember that these artists are making the art that they want to make, and it's our yeah. it's our part to enjoy it. Yes, we are critics, so we critique it, um, but. Uh, if we don't like it, that's fine. If we love it, that's fine too. But that shouldn't change the art that they want to make. I think it's important to remember who's making the art and uh, who's mm. talking about the art. I don't mind talking about the art, but I would never want to be in a position to influence uh, what they want to do. It's my choice to watch every mm. week or not, and I'm going to choose to tune in every week. 
Yeah, and I think that that's a good point. Uh, Your previous fandom doesn't obligate you to like this show. I mean, obviously, um, we've been dealing with that on this podcast directly. Um, But at the same time, if you don't like the show, it doesn't take away the original. The original mm-hmm. is still there and we're still talking about the original and it's, it's in our, it's in our DNA to love the original. But what's great about this is the fact that it sparks conversation too. Mm-hmm. And I've said this before, I think to my wife, I might've said it on, on Mike too, but at the end of the day, I think that all art is just a conversation and that's, that's what art is there for. It's to stir an emotion and to spark a conversation. And, um, thank God we have podcasting. Thank, thank GTF dubs that we got these mics and we can all have the conversation and participate as we like. And critiques are fairly valid. As she said, I mean, I, we, we've said this for weeks running. Allison's critiques are right on with a lot of people's thoughts out there that are listening. And I, for one, am just for honesty. And a conversation is nothing. It's not genuine if it's not honest. So I I feel like all points of view are valid as long as we can do it in a tone of respect. And, um, you know, knowing that everybody has a different feeling and respecting that as well. So thank you, Katie, for bringing it up. We will be doing a lot more content on the original series as soon as season one ends. Do we know when the hiatus is over? Do we know? Do we have a season two premiere date yet? We do not yet. It's probably going to be sometime in September, though, right? So this is going to take us in through, I guess, the end of April, right? And maybe into the beginning week of May. And then we're going to have months and months of uh, hiatus that we'll be able to just dive right back into Sam and Al and everything that we love. So Mm. that is very exciting to me. And uh, yeah, if you out there would like to be like Katie, there are many ways that you can reach us here at the quantum leap podcast you can send us a letter or your manifesto critiquing the new show at p.o box 542 bayport new york 11705 you can get us by phone at 707-847-6682 you can email us at quantum leap podcast at gmail.com you can follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash quantum leap podcast you can also hit us up on twitter and instagram at quantum leap pod and you can watch us on youtube at youtube.com slash the quantum leap podcast and you can always go that extra mile and support us on patreon just like mr harold sullivan has done at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and listen uh you guys have listened to this now you can go watch the video version over on the YouTube channel, the aforementioned YouTube channel. Albie, uh, this is the Quantum Leap podcast, Quantum Leap after show now. I'm always confused as to what we're naming this. <laughs> I always try to add a couple more words on each time. But yes, currently it's the Quantum Leap podcast, Quantum Leap after show. Electric Boogaloo. Uh, or sometimes it's the Quantum Leap podcast way after show, depending. Yeah. So uh, this is our first crossover. I uh, hope it's the first of many uh, that we do. I, I, I feel like we should maybe do one of these each season. Sounds good. Right? Mm. I like just so that, that we can keep the connective tissue between our universes together as well, you know, and uh, hopefully cross promote and get fans because I feel like the fans of each show are probably pretty separate. So maybe we have more of a merging of our own separate mm. fandoms through things yeah. like this too. So, yeah. Um, that being said, um, we have more immediate things to come. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell us what's coming up next? 
And so coming up next week is Ben's song for the defence. Hey, hey, you have to tell him it wasn't my fault. I was only naked because my girlfriend locked me out of the house. I'm a lawyer. When Ben leaps into a harried public defender, he must keep an innocent teenager accused of murder out of prison for life. In an unexpected turn of events, Jen puts her legal expertise to the test as she steps in as the hologram. Hashtag Team Jen. More Jen. More Jen. More Jen. Jen. I was so excited when I heard that description that I immediately uh, messaged um, Nanrissa. And said, yay, more Jen. I can't wait. She's super excited as you well. You message Jen, Of course, yeah. I slid into her DMs <laughs> a little bit. And she said uh, she said to say hello to everybody and thank you for being on Team Jen. So uh, really excited yeah. for that. So Ben is trying to clear a young man of a murder rap. I already have a pun for this one. Uh, this is going to be 12 Angry Bens. <laughs> On that note, I want to say thank you, Albie. Thank you, Rennie. Thank you, Hayden, for being wonderful guests on the Quantum Leap podcast. It's weird to call you guests since we're all part of the same team. But uh, I've, I've had a blast. This has gone much, much better than I anticipated. Yeah. And, uh, I want to say uh, this is one of the funnest conversations I've had about the new show, bar none. So uh, thank you all. Um, this has been a lot of fun. We, yeah. And uh, we will be back next week with uh, our critique of Ben Song for the defense with um, another guest host. Uh, we're lining up several guest hosts to fill in for Allison until she returns. Uh, you'll be able to find out next week who we're going to bring on the mic. Until that time, I've been Christopher T. Philippus. And I've been Matt Dale. I've been Albie, and I would burn the world to save this little girl next to me. And I've been Serenity. And I have been the lead singer of Ziggy's Running Slow, Hayden McQueenie. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The executive producer of the quantum leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher D. Philippus and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Greg Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production.